welcome back to another episode of the Field Guide Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Drutz, local extension crops educator for Stearns, Benton, and Morrison counties. And with me is our, our other ho- main host here, Claire Lacan, local educator out of Rice and Steel counties. How are you doing today, Claire? I am well. How are you, Nathan? Not too bad. The sun is out and things looking pretty good. How are things looking down your area? Yes, it's beautiful weather today, a little bit windy. We had some moisture uh, yesterday, and so uh, it's nice to have things drying up a little bit. And uh, we do need the moisture, that's for sure, for a little bit of soil recharge here this fall. But people are pretty eager to finish up harvest and, you know, keep trucking. Well, and for audience out there who don't who don't maybe uh, understand this because we'll probably be having this sandwich between some other episodes this is actually taking place here in October so that is why we're still focused on s- some form of harvest uh, mostly because I would agree with you Claire on that front um, yeah we are getting some soil moisture here I do know that there are just a few acres of beans I was talking to a grower this past Wednesday who was out harvesting he said he was pre- getting pretty close to finished and they had to quit because we started getting some rain and so beans were a little bit wet coming out of the field, but we have had some moisture. You know, we were, I know from previous conversations that, uh, you mentioned you weren't guys weren't quite as dry as you, as we were up here, but, um, you know, how, how far behind are you guys? Are you guys behind in terms of rainfall? I don't know for sure how many inches behind we are. Sorry. (laughs) That's fine. And and that's okay. I I just was kind of curious myself, you know, cause we are still behind up here and, and that's something that we've, you know, we're really focused on. We're, I don't think a lot of people are complaining mostly because they know we need the, the moisture to recharge our soil moisture here and, and get us get us a good start next year. Also had a lot of guys chopping alfalfa, but with us today, we actually have a guest host that we are going to be introducing, that we are going to be introducing here today. He is one of our local extension educators, and actually we're really lucky because I do know, Claire, that in our first episode together with Mike Cruz that he introduced both of you as kind of the bug identification experts in this case. And so I guess I should feel very, very honored that we have the second bug expert here today with us, Shane Bougea. How are you doing today, yeah. Shane? Well, thanks, Nathan. Yeah, I'm doing great. It's, uh, you know, bugs are one of those things where, and I shouldn't, and I, I always, I'm, I, you know, I'm starting to become an entomologist when you kind of wince at the word bug, right? Because now to Claire and I, a bug means something very specific, but yeah, it's one of those things where if you're in a local educator, a couple topics grow on you over time. That's an insects is one of them for me. This is an educational podcast. So you can go ahead and explain as to why it is <laughs> that bug drives you nuts. Well, I wouldn't go so far as, as to say nuts. Now, if, if you really want to drive me uh, nuts, you will uh, you will refer to soil in another word, which I will not describe. Uh, <laughs> it starts with the letter D. Uh, that would be what throws me off the handle. But as when I hear the word bug, I'm thinking of something like uh, aphid, something that has a beak that sticks its n- nose into something it shouldn't be sticking its nose into. Or sometimes it's good. Sometimes it sticks it into another bug. But yeah, so those are called the true bugs. That's an order, the common name of the order that contains aphids. And so that's why, like Shane is saying, bug to us means true bugs, where insects is the overarching term that would talk about any kind of six-legged critter, including the true bugs. Right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you know, 
I'm starting to feel a little bit out outnumbered here, being the lone weed scientist on on the call here with two two insect uh, individuals, and and notice the correct term there. And of course, I do enjoy hearing that explanation, mostly because I remember having to give that explanation a, f- a handful of different times myself. But it's good to know that at least it's it's still kept up by the 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 insect uh, experts here. So Shane, you know, as, as we usually do, we like to get you, get our new guest hosts that will be presenting with us in the future on and off. Of course, you will be asked to come on and, and provide some expertise and, and really that makes, means that we need to be, need you to provide a little bit of background. What is your expertise? So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Right. So I went to Iowa state university. I got my bachelor's in agronomy, and then I moved to uh, soil, soil science for my master's. So um, I'm really kind of a nutrient management kind of soil health guy at heart. You know, my research project when I was in grad school was looking at, you know, how does uh, carbon and nitrogen change over time in, in, in a prairie reconstruction? So think of it, you know, a long-term kind of like a CRP. What does that do to some of these uh, nitrogen and, and carbon when they get put into that soil? Are they protected? Do they go up in the air? Are they lost? And we kind of look at that over time. So that's kind of what some of my master's research uh, was about. We try not to hold the Iowa thing against him too much. <laughs> you know, I, I, I do. I, I would say University of Minnesota is my favorite Big Ten school. It's much more of my favorite Big Ten school than another uh, school in Iowa that shall not be named. I always root for the Gophers whenever they're playing them. So there you go. You know, it, it's That's kind okay. of entertaining because I remember being in, in Ames, Iowa, and a good friend of mine, he said that you're going to learn one thing from being in Ames, and that is Iowa State is the best university in the state. And, you know, I, I have to admit, I haven't done the legwork to check to see if that that checks out. But according to my wife, it's actually Right. So correct. So I, I don't, I, I try very hard that Iowa state Minnesota bias. I try very hard to ignore that. I, I try. So, <laughs> you know, Hey, what can you say? But I I'm, I'm the local educator in Blue Earth, Lesseur County. So Mankato and La Center are my two County offices. Uh, I've been here since 2017. So I really like living in the state of Minnesota greater Minnesota is great. That's just kind of a little bit about kind of my geography, so to speak, and a little bit about my education. But like I said before, I, I came into this job with uh, kind of a soil mentality. But over time, you know, you you start to you get into get involved with new topics that you like. Insects was one of them. You know, I became interested in invasive species and noxious weeds, uh, which have some obvious connections to agriculture. Uh, and then there's some things that you just don't expect when you're a local educator. And that is the number of, because in my case, I do agriculture, horticulture, natural resources, pretty much if somebody's got a problem with a living thing or wants to know what the living thing is, they'll call the office. So the amount of tree calls I think I've gotten, it's probably a staggering amount. So I used to come into the job being like, you know, all right, you know, this tree is giving me problems, but over time, you get to you get to tolerate them at least, and that's where I'm at right now. So your counties, Shane, Blue Earth and Lesseur, you're not terribly far from Iowa, actually. So you're kind of in the Mankato, La Center area. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about the agriculture in your two counties? Right. Yeah, it, it's not a huge change for me uh, in terms of where I was in Iowa in terms of some of the the cropping systems and animals that are important. 
Blue Earth County is a, a large uh, hog producing county in this in the state of Minnesota, and Lesueur County has is pretty diverse, especially with uh, beef. Uh, we have some really great horticulture commercial growers down there, orchards, along with conventional, uh, you know, soybean corn rotations. But we have some small grains guys, and but it, yeah, it wasn't a huge shock. You know, I wasn't you know struck by what I saw on the sides of the roads. That's for sure. Yep. So you mentioned, you know, you, you kind of went through that list of topics that yeah. you currently cover within your current position. And, mm-hmm. you know, can you tell us a little bit about the projects you're currently working on and, and some of those interests are, that you picked up and that you're really focused on, especially on an educational front, but also from some of these other aspects that you might have? Right. So when I, when I first came here and some of the early things that I've done and, and Claire helped out on one of them, where we would look at how to measure soil health using kind of a do it yourself type situation. You know, you, you, people may have heard of soil your undies, but we, where you would bury a pair of underwear in the, in the soil and see how much it degrades uh, over time. And that gives you maybe a rough estimate of how active your soil is. Uh, we tried to do that too, with a little experiment where we use tea bags uh, instead of, of underwear. There's, it's not as, uh, it's not as catchy as soil your undies, but uh, you know, we, it, some of those things, I mean, right away going into soil health, as far as, you know, more of, of the insect thing, I, I helped out uh, with some uh, surveys uh, that was uh, soybean aphid surveys kind of early on in my uh, local educator career, where we were looking to see, you know, how, how good are those speed scouting techniques that, you know, other extension services might recommend versus the, I'm going to count every single one of these bugs. I can say that right, Claire, that are on this soybean plant. So on the agriculture side, plenty of projects. And even on the horticulture side, have a few in the, in the cauldron. This is, this is the best part about being the weed scientist on this call is that you're not checking with me. I could say whatever the heck I want, you know, and, and where, where you have to deal with Claire. Okay. Here. I did get a bachelor's degree in agronomy, you know, weeds were, you know, plants out of place. Right. For me, I can kind of think of it like, like that. Right. Is that what, is that where you were taught as well, Nathan? Or is it's, it it's a little more complicated off? than that. I mean, you know, you, you have some other aspects of what makes a good weed and you, and you learn that. <laughs> oh, in a hurry. oh, this is the thing. Yeah. So uh, so I, should I lump the, the weed scientists and the, and the plant pathologists? They're the ones that get really excited when there's a huge outbreak and there's a horrible yield loss in someone's field. You guys get excited, right? I mean, I, I don't want to say excited, <laughs> but you know, there has been a few comments made by growers in the area that it seems that I'm almost rooting for the weed in some cases. <laughs> now I'm not going to confirm that, but it does, it, I do have lots of pictures where there's just water hemp just taking over soybean fields. And those pictures end up somehow or another in most of my presentations. Yeah. yeah. I, I will say that it is also a great thrill to be spraying herbicides and then being able to check for MOAs and see how that interacts. That's enjoyable to me as well. So it's not just about the weeds taking over. It's also about the, the beautiful colors that we can make these plants turn when we're trying to kill them. (laughs) I agree. I think that comes down to the fact that nature and biology are so cool and so fascinating because there's some pest insects that I will admit I also think are truly phenomenal from just a biology perspective. But yes, of course, I don't like the fact that they cause economic distress for <laughs> producers and things like that. Yeah, I, I, you know, kind of going on the insect thing, I, I, I really get 
excited sort of when I see beneficial insects eating the pest insects, right? And we we see a lot of that in in our in a soybean or a cornfield. We might we might spot a a lady beetle or a pirate bug, but you know that's the stuff that gets that makes me excited is when I start seeing that stuff because it goes to what Claire is saying about how complex life is in a in a farm field. It's it's just crazy. You can have how many different fields of science get their advanced degrees and their research projects just in one field that raises corn and soybeans. That's one of the th- reasons I went into agriculture. Well, that's understandable because that's kind of the reason why I went there too. I mean, you think about agronomists and you think about all of the different topic areas you have to be at least knowledgeable in to some degree. It's you know really a situation where you're more of a jack of all trades, master of none in that case, I think, than, than maybe some of these other fields. Right. And that's, and that's so true. And, and, and to some extent, you have to be kind of a jack of all trades when you're a local educator, right? Because you get, I might get a call about bed bugs one hour, and then a couple hours later, I'm, I'm getting asked about, you know, what's the custom work rate going on? Or what's, uh, you know, what do I tank mix with, with my herbicide program? So th- that's kind of one of the reasons I like the job is every day is different. You can just get, it keeps you on your toes. That's for sure. Well, Shane, let's talk a little bit about something else here. Uh, you know, you've mentioned a lot about some of your projects and I've got some questions here. Let's start with the first one here. And, and this is getting a little bit in, you know, this is, this is usually how we deal with our guests as we bring them on, is we, we start them off easy and then we start asking questions that make them very nervous. <laughs> and in this case here, I want to talk to you a little bit and ask you a question about soil health. Yeah. What does that concept mean? I, I know there's a lot of con- a lot of terms thrown around there. With Claire's episode, we asked her to, to identify or to define sustainability. Here, I'm going to ask you to give your definition of soil health in this instance. Right. And to me, the first word that comes to mind when I hear soil health is resiliency. How productive is your soil going to be when it encounters a drought or uh, a torrential downpour or you know, something along those lines, uh, soil health is, is, is one of those things. Again, it's like uh, sustainable agriculture. It's, you have lots of different definitions and I think it's slightly different per person. You can even say that for agronomy. I remember when I was a freshman going in at Iowa state, that was the one question they asked us, what is agronomy? And I think one of my favorite answers was from my, one of my professors, Lee Burris, who said, you know, it's the management of photosynthesis. And I thought that was a pretty good answer for agronomy, but for soil health, you know, res- resiliency is how, what I think. Well, that's interesting because, you know, we, we look at soil health, um, you met, you notice, you know, different definitions for agronomy and, and that definition actually is really interesting because uh, would you say that that definition also might accidentally work within the term soil health as well, that, you know, it's a, yeah. a management of photosynthesis. Right. And I, and that's a great point. Soil is, is so important to, and to, to determining what type of crops we grow and how well we can grow them. And we have a lot of impact over our soils. It's one of those things where human management really comes into play, really has a difference. You can't change the sand, silt, clay, but things like soil health, humans definitely have a role in, in making that good or, or ill. And when we kind of think about in the future, uh, we're going to have really great technology and we're going to have great breeding programs for crops, but they're still going to need that stuff right below them, uh, whatever the future holds. And if we can keep our soils healthy, um, we can have some really great, uh, yields and, and success in the future. So yeah, soil, you really can't pull the plant away from the soil. You can in a way, I guess you can have 
hydroponics, aeroponics, but those have significant downsides. It's, it's better to, to work with uh, what's below your feet. <clears throat> I just think it's a good definition. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, there's so much we don't know about soil and what a lot of its interactions with plants and we're just scratching a surface. And, uh, I think as we, as we go on here, we're going to find out more about maybe reasons why things might taste better to us if it's grown in soil versus in a, in a hydroponics situation. And I'm not bashing hydroponics or anything like that. There's very good uses for that, especially off season, uh, you know, production of, of food. Um, but you know, I just have a soft spot for, for soil. Soil is, it was made by life. That's the, what makes the difference between we call it soil here, but on Mars, it's like regolith, you know, that life is not as far as we know, not as not a part of that system at all. And, and what I really like about soil is that it's life is one of the major influences on what makes soil soil and plants are life. That's a really good point. It's outside of the physical characteristics that right. they're, you know, living, moving, breathing in some cases, organisms that are in the soil that, that separates it from other growth medium, I guess. (laughs) Growth, growth medium is, is kind of, yeah, I'll never forget. I was at a a soil science society meeting and a couple of professors were really going at it. You guys think that sustainable agriculture and agronomy have controversial definitions. I will tell you some of the definitions I heard and some of the raised voices I heard during that meeting uh, soil also has some controversy in what people define it as growing medium is usually part of that definition, but it's the other stuff after that, that gets a little controversial for some folks. I do. I do enjoy that. I remember, uh, as an undergrad there in Northwest that we had a, a had a soil science professor there. She, uh, was very adamant about the definition and that was actually, it was, it was one of the first things she taught us. And to, for the life of me, I can't remember exactly what it was, but we had to memorize it. And I remember most of the basic components, but not exact the exact definition. Uh, but we had to memorize it. It was on one of the quizzes that she had the next week, and then it was on the test. And so she she had it because she did not want any of the, and I'm going to say the word because I know it'll annoy Shane here, <laughs> dirt. You know, she didn't want any of the dirt, you know, flying around here, you know, dirt is is uh you know the dust is stuff that ends up on the floor inside not not what's outside. under your fingernails yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so you know she was very adamant about that and it's always entertaining because yeah it, it's it's a it's not yelling worthy but definitely within the weed science realm definition right. a definition of a weed is right. is one of those where ev- everyone has their slight variations and and uh some of those are more widely accepted than others so oh well, I was just going to say, Shane, in your role as a local educator, Nathan and I are aware that we get lots of different kinds of questions, different kinds of requests for technical assistance and things like that. So just wondering if there's any requests that really stick out to you that are soil related, either that were very challenging or questions that happen frequently that you'd want to share. Yeah, just this year, we got a call. Uh, and, and I say it's, it's soil related, uh, because it involves a, uh, a pathogen that's in the soil. And, uh, you know, one thing I definitely noticed, and I've gotten a few calls this year and, and those kind of stick out to me is we, we talk about the disease triangle, right? You know, if you haven't heard the, tr- the triangle, you need the pathogen, you need the susceptible host and you need the environment or the, the climate. 
And for sure, with the drought that we experienced in 2021, some of the calls I had gotten and some of the visits I had seen, once you have the, the pathogen and the susceptible host, a lot of times they can tear right through, go quickly as soon as they get to that moisture that they need or the temperature that they need. Some of these fungi, Phytophthora was one of the ones that I had seen in a field in near Blue Earth County, where as soon as they got a little bit of moisture, man, that took off. And I had seen in other types of plants this year too, uh, horticultural crops or uh, kind of ornamental crops. As soon as there was moisture, man, things took off um, and quick. And it didn't even look, it almost looked like it was a man-made thing because we were almost seeing, you know, it was following when we were out there at that, that field, we were seeing uh, almost straight lines along tile drainage because that's where the water was being removed. That's where the pathogen didn't have as great a time, but right outside, man, that they were, they died green almost. Um, it was pretty rapid and quick. So those are some of the things that stood out to me this year, uh, out in the field. Well, maybe bouncing back a little bit here on yet. Cause, um, I think we're getting ready to come up on time here, but I just wanted to go back to maybe some of your projects and just get some of your perspectives yeah. on some of these different projects here looking specifically at the undies as well as the tea bags. And I do remember when I first started, because I believe I started a year or so right after you two pretty much started. I remember hearing about this, but for those of us who aren't familiar, especially with the tea bag portion, why you might've gone with the tea bag over the undie, I understand the undie concept, but for those Mm -hmm. of us who don't necessarily understand either one of those, can you explain (laughs) that project and, and why it is that we, I, you know, that I get to sit here and say the word undie on, right, on a podcast. Right. You say it a lot. Well, one of the things we talk about soil and, and one of its functions is uh, the microbial life that's in the soil uh, cycles nutrients that our, our crops use all the time. They break down residue that's from previous years. Uh, they break down manure that has been added. All the, a lot of organic material can get put into that system and, and you get products that your plant will use eventually. So a couple, I think it was a Dutch study. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Claire. What they wanted to do is, well, you know, people had put underwear and other things that were made out of organic substances like cotton or paper. The reason why people wanted to do tea bags uh, was that it was relatively standardized. So if you bought a brand of, of whatever tea, it would have a certain nitrogen or carbon ratio or, you know, you can kind of think of the nitrogen carbon ratios, how tasty it is to a microbe in the soil. And since it was decently repeatable, you know, each tea bag wasn't terribly different from the other, you could do experiments on your farm. Uh, and when you look at some of the, and even now, a lot of the um, microbe, microbial tests that you might see that are offered by uh, companies and, uh, and, or Cornell and the soil health kind of uh, assessments, those are pretty expensive, pretty pricey. So the idea was, hey, we'll use these tea bags. We'll put them out in the field. Uh, we'll see if we can correlate that to something else, maybe yield or you know uh, other things to figure out. Hey, is there a cheap way we can do this on the farm? We don't have to send anything into any lab. We can just measure it ourselves. So we'll bury tea bags in. We'll pull them up a few months later. We'll weigh them. We'll see how much damage the microbes did. Uh, and then we'll make a, a guess of what that field was like. 
And one other thing that differentiated that study from the soil your undies method is that there were two different kinds of tea bags used. So red tea represented more recalcitrant material or plant residue that would be more difficult to break down. And then green tea was the more easily decomposable kind of proxy for, for crop material. And so that was another aspect of it is that maybe we could see some differences in how these two different materials were broken down that could give us some insight into what kind of microbes might be present in the soil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the, the, the conventional thinking was healthier your soil, the easier it had, it has, or the easier it can break down some of that hard stuff. Right. That really, right. A really high C to N ratio. So think of like sawdust, right. That has a crazy high, Carbon content doesn't have a lot of nitrogen. We're not fertilizing our fields with sawdust. So yeah, it was an interesting project. And, you know, after doing it and comparing it with other lab tests, I think the one thing that told us more than any of those things was just the physical soil, Mm -hmm. the color of the soil, the smell, how it, how easy we feels in your hand. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and, and I think, that and that's true i mean a lot of the a lot of these biological tests can can work really well but it really depends on how you treat the sample afterwards if you put it in the dash for your truck and it's 100 degrees out that's going to cause some changes in the microbes that are in that soil um the time of the year you take it is very similar but some of the physical stuff you know how 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 big are your aggregates or how how resilient are your soil can it does it kind of turn into dust if you touch it, or does it kind of hold into nice crumbs that are great for plants? That stuff is a little bit uh, more consistent, right, in an area, um, and that's and kind more of what, cost effective, right? Because it's free, <laughs> right? And you know, and even when we looked at all the crazy tests and the tea bag stuff, that stuff at least told us which was the the thing that it agreed with our with our physical assessments. So Claire and I were out there. The stuff that scored the lowest on those tests, yeah, scored kind of low on the the physical stuff as well. The stuff that was really, really high, really high uh, test things worked well. You know, the soil was great, uh, mellow, real nice color. But the stuff in between wasn't a lot of agreement between uh, some of the the tea bags and then some of the other tests that we had done through a, a lab. So we could spend a whole other hour on that, but it really kind of opened my eyes about really showing you then. And a lot of people will tell you, they'll know what a poor soil looks like or when it doesn't, especially if they farm it, you don't need a test to tell you that, you know, that ground is great. If you can look at it underneath your feet, pull up a, a, you know, a a soil core and just take a look at it. And you have the yield data. You, You know what that feels like when you're harvesting or tilling. So I think that's got to be taken with a lot of other measurements, but it's still important. Something there that you mentioned, you know, I think that's probably one of the most important aspects of us as we move into this era of, of soil health and, and trying to store carbon underground and improve the overall health of our soils is measurements. Mm-hmm. Can, yeah, can, we'll you, yeah, can you talk a little bit about where that's, headed because uh, in terms of measurements of soil health, something where we can actually get some physical numbers 
mm-hmm. that will actually better help us understand what are we dealing with? Because this is, you know, one of the, one of the big questions that I always get from growers and, you know, whether they're people I serve here in the central part of the state or whether they're growers and agronomists from outside this area is Mm -hmm. what, you know, how do I, how do I know if I'm going the right direction? I could do all these basic tests, you know, and I could see things get broken down. I could do the Mm -hmm. soil your undies and and Mm -hmm. many of them have, and, and, you know, and then of course you run across that issue where you've got all this other stuff, you know, you can get Mm -hmm. uh, little boxes that, you know, contain materials that are supposed to help you figure out what is your soil health. And the question there, of course, always is, well, you know, first of all, like what, what does this even mean? How do I, how do I utilize these numbers and how do I know, am I actually progressing or am I just treading water? What am I doing wrong? How do we progress from here where, you know, you mentioned, you know, the tea bags and trying to make that connect with some measurements. How do we progress from there to some actual solid numbers where as agronomists, we can, we could pick up a uh, result and know kind of where things are headed. Right. That's a great question. It's not an easy question. Of course, you know, we, we in extension, I'm going to use my favorite word. It depends, right? That's what we all say. It all drives all of our farmers that, that hear us nuts when we say it depends on this. But uh, I think if you're looking at, okay, am I going the right direction with my soil? Am I improving it? Or if I'm increasing the health, you got to look at things in a relative perspective, what's relative to your area, right? So a lot of times, you know, there might be scores you'll see on, on certain laboratories where they'll say, if you're below this number, your soil's crap. Uh, if you're above this number, it's really great. And again, the, the picture could be different. Remember when I told you that how you take the sample could make a big difference on what those numbers are. So if you're taking samples for soil health, I would urge uh, farmers to figure out, you know, and this is on our website too. So in Anna Cates is our, our soil health specialist, and she's got some great materials on this too on our website. But finding an area where you've got living roots all year round, kind of like maybe a fence row, maybe, you know, you've got some CRP ground that's been in there for a long time, 10 years plus, you know, look at that soil, maybe do the soil health measurement in that one and your cropland. So then you can kind of figure out, okay, this undisturbed area that's under perennial cover with living roots all year round, that would be kind of like the absolute pinnacle goal, right? If we're doing row crop agriculture, we may never get there, but if we're doing tests in our field and we're doing it in a place that's nearby, so the soil is not too different, the soil texture, I should say. So the sand silt clay is kind of the same weather is more or less the same. Hopefully the, the area on the landscape, it's roughly the same spot. So you can kind of see, okay, here's the golden standard. Here's the, uh, you know, maybe what I, my field is in right now and, and I move towards this. And that means you got to take m- multiple years of samples, right? Because if you take it once and you just see the numbers and you're like, okay, great. So it's, it's again, and relying a little bit also on your own kind of senses to your physical, you know, senses, seeing the color, how it works, et cetera. Shane, I I really like that answer because like you said, it should be relative and having something to compare it to is a great rule of thumb. And also it just makes me think of kind of this analogy that I sometimes use with soil health is like my personal health, right? So if I go to the doctor, they don't just take my weight and say, yep, you are perfectly healthy. They don't just take one measurement, right? They weigh me, they take my height into consideration, 
They take my temperature, my blood pressure. There's lots of factors that go into health, right? And so I would take that same approach with soil health Mm -hmm. is trying to get multiple measurements. And like you said, using your physical senses is a great way to do that. You know, one of the other tips I would tell farmers if they're going to do soil health tests, talk to the guy who who has who's going to do the test for you or the lab. If they can't explain it to you, uh, and if it just doesn't seem right, just probably think about doing another one. And that goes for a lot of other inputs too, right? You want to be able to understand what the theory is about why this is supposed to be a great test to measure soil health. And that would be another tip I would tell people. Well, one, I guess one final follow-up question to that would be for my end is, is looking at that, a lot of these fence rows and things, you know, or like CRP where typically we're, we're talking about ground that has been plowed up before mm-hmm. that has been farmed in the past as well. How accurate is that? You know, is that truly a healthy soil that is living underneath those perennial systems that are in those fence rows or in that CRP? Is that truly where we want to go? Or, mm-hmm. you know, how does that compare to versus some of these actual prairie drive systems where oh, we boy. actually have had consistent yeah. prairie, yeah. you know, what, what, what used to be here, whether it's forest, I've got some areas here that used to be forested all right. the way to pra- old prairie ground. How do we bridge that gap and, and figure out how that goes? Because I know that's question. sort of where we're headed. Yeah, that's a great question. Asking the right person. You are, that's... because uh, <laughs> some of my research is directly related to this. So you notice that when I said CRP, I said 10 years or more, right? When I said some old ground, right? In soils, things, you might see some changes relatively quickly, but in general, big things take a long time to show up, especially in the you know, upper layers of the soil. So uh, that's a great point. Uh, there, if you look at, so I'll give you an example. So my, um, my master's, my thesis was about, you know, looking at prairie reconstructions and seeing how carbon and nitrogen and, and how that moves over time. And even we took one of the fields that I had taken samples from was over 20 years old, 20 years old and reconstructed prairie it looked great. Soil was great. It was a silt loam. It was on top of, of a hill. It was perfect. It was great. You probably would have gotten 200 some bushels off it if you wanted to. But the, the, the kind of scary thing was, is when we looked at the organic matter, we looked at the carbon, it was only 60% of an untouched prairie that never saw a plow. So after 20 some years, And that's not even the craziest one. There was another study in Wisconsin that was even longer and they still found, you know, roughly uh, about that much. So there's a lot we don't know about why those prairie soils, the ones that haven't been touched by iron before, why they are so rich in carbon and organic matter. There's some theories about it. Some of the theories that I thought were interesting, and of course is not right or wrong, but Earthworms were cited as the possible reason why some of those are behind. There could be insects or other animals. Uh, obviously, we don't have bison roaming around, you know, downtown Mankato. Uh, you know, large animals probably had something to do with it. Uh, we do have bison around here, but not in the town proper. You know, I think there's just a lot we don't know, and it and may be impossible to know because we don't know what was there and what wasn't in 18. 18- 40 versus what's here now, you know, looking at what 
microbes were there or insects or large animals? That's a great question. And I, and I don't think that there's a great answer to it, but I think that it, it, it's going to be a long, long process to get to that prairie level. Very, very interesting stuff there. Well, uh, I believe I am out of questions, Claire. Yes. Thanks for being with us today, Shane. We really yeah. appreciate it. And it's been fun to hear your perspectives. Yeah, great. It's been great. Thanks for having me guys. And uh, I look forward to joining you guys in the future. Well, before we let you go here, we have to let you have a shameless plug here for yourself and, and your area of extension. So if they, people want to reach you, where do, what number do they need to call? Probably best to get a hold of me uh, by email. My, uh, my email is S-B-U-G-E-J-A at umn.edu. So I have a Maltese last name. It's really complicated. It's really annoying. Hopefully my name will be on the podcast title. Uh, so you can just copy paste, put an S in front of it, and you've got it. That would probably be the best way to contact me because I'm going to be all over the place, especially during the wintertime and in and, and the early spring. I, I, your name will be associated with the, with the description of this podcast, but I make zero guarantees that I spell your last name <laughs> properly. It'll probably yeah, end up. Yeah, you can ways, check. So. You don't have an excuse because you can check the the directory. You know, uh, you know they got my name right on there. Or the, any emails that I send you about stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, thanks again for being with us here, Shane, today. I think it'd be really cool to have you and Anna, Kate, Dr. Cates and, and Claire. I think right. the four of us should sit down at some point to have a conversation about this because there's a lot of interesting uh, material here that I, I believe is actually something that a lot of us have on our minds right now. Uh, with that being said, if you would like to have more information on this podcast, or if you would like to get in touch with anyone uh, else as a part of the local educator team, please go to extension.umn.edu backslash local. And thanks for listening. Feel free to join us next time on the, uh, on our podcast.